0: Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to Mark, Mark's Gospel, in the fourth chapter. This is page um, 839, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there. Mark 4. Last week, we talked about the parable of the soil, or parable of sowers, it's often called. Um, And uh, we're gonna kind of build off of what we talked about last week. So I'll review a little bit, but um, uh, what Jesus is saying here in these parables, they they build off of the parable of the soils. Let's read the text. Mark 4 and um, verse 21. And he, Jesus, said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, for when sown into on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth, yet when it is sown it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches. So that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Father, we want to pause now. We have read your word, and it is the word of the living God. And we want to pause and ask now that any comments that we make about it would be accurate to what you intend of this text. And it would be clear. And so I pray that um, as I'm grateful for the privilege to stand before my friends and talk about this text, I pray that I would do so in a way that is helpful. And the only way that's going to happen is if your spirit is involved in this. And so I pray that our time together right now would would be uh, led by your spirit and be helpful to you, or helpful to us in worship of you. So thank you that we have this text in front of us and may it be uh, used for your glory and our good. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. So I was waiting patiently for the invitation to uh, Dr. Al Mohler's home. I'd heard stories of his house. Uh, he is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I did uh, one of my degrees there. And I, um, I had heard stories about in the basement of his house, in the, the, it's really the president's mansion of the seminary, there was a, a massive library, okay? I'd heard stories of this. And if once you graduate from Southern, every graduate gets an invitation at a reception at the president's home and then you get a tour of the library. So I was waiting for this. I I remember it with every class I took I'm just a step closer. Okay, it wasn't that bad. But um, I, 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 I mean, you gotta understand, there's like between 30 and 50,000 volumes, okay, in this library. Okay, this is massive. And I, I couldn't wait to see it. And so all graduates get invited, and the day in the mail, I got an invitation. Here's proof, okay? All right, I'm not making this up, okay? So I got to go and see this library and, and be in awe of all the books and resources that he had. And he actually has in his library a first printing of John Owen's uh, uh, The Death of Death and the Life of Christ, which is a Puritan classic from 1600s. And it's just a, I mean, so he's got some really cool books in there. So I was really glad to be invited. You know, it feels good to be invited, Right feels good to be invited to something and you, you get to be part of it and it's, uh, it's good. You know, the kingdom of God is advanced through the ministry of the word. Not the sword. The kingdom of God doesn't get advanced through the sword. kingdom of God doesn't get advanced through money or heritage. The kingdom of God gets advanced through the word. And here's the cool part. You and I are invited to be part of that. One of the greatest invitations you ever can get is not just, okay, I'll take care of your sin problem, now go to your room. That's not how God treats us. He invites us to be part of kingdom growth. So the parable of the soil helped us understand that a little bit last week. We talked about how our responsibility is having receptive hearts. We saw that in the parable of the soils. We mentioned that There's just this beautiful but yet unexplainable marriage between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in this. And receptive hearts, though, is the responsibility of us. It's the responsibility of humans. It's the responsibility for Jesus' disciples to have receptive hearts to the word. In our text today, he continues this discussion of how the kingdom will grow and who is responsible for what. So. Here's what I hope to impress upon you today. If we're going to distill it into one sentence, here it is. You are invited to be part of the unexplainable growth of God's kingdom. You are invited to be part of the unexplainable growth of God's kingdom. That's something that if you're a believer in Christ, God's actually not just inviting you to, He's expecting you to be part of. Okay? So you are invited to be part of the unexplainable growth in God's kingdom. It's almost as if in this text here, Jesus is coaching his team here and with all these different parables he's given. So what I'm going to do today in the message, I'm going to frame Jesus' teaching in this text around what I'm calling four coaching statements, if you will. So I have four coaching statements I'd like to share with you from these parables, and hopefully it would help us understand that we have the responsibility to exercise or to accept that invitation to be part of the unexplainable growth of God's kingdom. First coaching statement I want to share with you is this. Do as I say, not as I do. I remember... You remember those uh w w j d bracelets that Christians were wearing twenty years ago? remember those um, you know what would jesus do and so that was like you know and they were good i am mean, i'm, not, I'm not making fun of them, although even at the time as you know as a you know a cocky twenty uh, you know, year old or whatever I was um I, I remember kind of thinking, well, okay, there's some limitations to this, because if I show up at my friend's house, and I'm like, hey, you got anything to eat? And he's like, no, not really. I'm like, got it covered. Got my bracelet, WJD. You Got some fish? You Got some loaves here? All right. You know, what would Jesus do? All right, we're going to do what Jesus did. Or, you know, or we need to go fishing or something like that. You know, this is not a true illustration, because I'm talking about fishing. But anyway, so, um, you know, you got, you, we're going to go fishing. It's like, man, we don't have a boat. Got it covered, WJD. if we're going to just walk out there and get to, see, you know, go fish into our spot. Obviously, there's limitations, right? Okay. We can't always do what Jesus did, but it's good advice, okay? So I'm not knocking that. Um, I remember trying to teach a, a basketball player. I was coaching a basketball team one time, and I was teaching a student and um, how to make free throws, and I was going through... Um, you know, you stand here, you keep your elbows squared, and all the shoulders, and all the stuff, and I'm going through everything that you should do to make free throws. And so I have the ball, and so I shoot to show him, bong, you know, I'm like, well, you know, sometimes, you know, and so like three times in a row, right? Okay, so finally, just looked at the student, I'm like, well, just do what I do, do what I say, not as I do, and they'll eventually go in. Okay, all right, so Jesus's advice here in this first parable I think stems a little bit from that because Jesus had just told. Remember, in verse ten through twelve of chapter four, Jesus had just said that that the, the the he was going to start using parables to hide the teaching from the religious leaders, really primarily of that time. And the reason why he was doing that was because they had rejected him. They had rejected him in chapter three to the point where they accused him of being in league with Satan. They said he's an agent of Satan so Jesus says, you've crossed the line. He says, understand that this is significant. And so from that point on, Jesus begins to use parables so that then the disciples would ask questions and then he would then teach them in what he was trying to say. But for the religious leaders who just wrote Jesus off as an agent of Satan, then Jesus says, I'm going to hide this message. So this parable, this story of the lamp here is Jesus then looking at the disciples and saying, okay, now you know that I'm revealing this to you you know that I'm teaching this to you okay now you also know that I'm speaking you know kind of covertly a little bit here so the religious leaders that they're just they're sealed in their rejection he's looking at the disciples saying don't hide the message just because you see me speaking in parables doesn't mean that you should hide the message. Now, we know this is true because just a couple chapters later in chapter 6, that Jesus is actually going to formally and officially send out people for the purpose of sharing the gospel message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. So this story here when he says the lamp, is not to be brought under a basket or under a bed, but to put it on a stand. He's like, if we hide something for a short time, it's so that we can make it known later on. And so what he's telling them in his coaching move here is he's getting his disciples out. He says, okay, I'm hiding this because I'm all wise and I'm just and I know this, but that's not your call. Your call is to tell people. Your call is to be a light into this community. Your call, your responsibility is to share the message. So don't hide the message. So do as I say, not as I do here. So the question, the application then here is obvious here is are we shining in this world? Are we shining as lights and the gospel message that we know or that if you know, if you know the gospel message, are you shining that out into the world? We say, well, how can we do that? Well, there's several ways. I'll just share two real quickly here. Good works is one. Matthew chapter five, verse 16, it says this. It says, in the same way, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay? And so the point is that we need to shine by how we live our lives. And so the decisions that you and I make, okay, should be different in the way that people look at that and say, okay, that's a changed person. It doesn't mean we're freaks. It doesn't mean that uh, uh, we... um, uh, you know, try to be uh, obnoxiously countercultural, but what it does mean is that there should be a difference in how we speak. There should be a difference in what we find funny. There should be a difference in what we post for other people to see. There should be a difference in our entertainment choices. All these type of things, because we want to shine as lights, good works. Life that's radically transformed. Now, good works doesn't get us salvation. We, we know that's not true. For by grace are you are saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So Ephesians chapter 2 makes it very clear works doesn't bring salvation, but the Bible is abundantly and just as clear that good works is a result of being saved. So good works. Another way to shine is... Um, Curbing or cutting the complaining out of our lives. Oh boy. Philippians chapter 2, right? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world. Cutting the complaining. Is a way to shine. Jesus says, don't take the gospel message that you have had and hide it under a basket or underneath the bed. No, that's not the intention of it. Don't worry about what I'm trying to hide and what I'm trying to make public. So, what I'm telling you to do is to shine as lights out there. And one of the ways you can do that is cutting the complaining, Paul tells us later on. That's hard. That is hard. Have you ever tried to to say, okay, I'm going to spend one day, and I'm not going to complain about a single thing today. Have you ever tried that? It is hard, maybe even impossible. I don't know. Um, Because what happens is, is we... Uh, are trying not to complain, and we're thinking positively about things, and then we think, "Man, this is really hard work. I don't know why I decided to do this." And then it hits you: I'm complaining about not complaining. <laughs> All right. So my point is, it's hard. No one's expecting per- perfection, but the point is, we need to be conscious of it. Because why is it such an important thing? When we complain about something, what are we saying? We're saying several things. One is, I deserve better than this. And we're saying, God, you're making a mistake here. That's really what we're saying. And so this is the reason why it's shining this light when we can accept everything from the sovereign hand of God and we can rejoice in those things. And it doesn't mean we have to like every circumstance that we're in. It doesn't mean we have to enjoy it. It doesn't mean that there are times to mourn, obviously. But we can still rejoice in our tears. And that's what God is asking us to do here. So do as I say, not as I do here. Shine as lights in the world. So are you shining at home? What about at work? Are you shining in your conversation, in your relationships, and how you spend your time and your entertainment and what you read and what you listen to and what you watch? I mean you get the idea. The life-changing gospel message of Jesus' kingdom must shine through your life. So there's the first coaching statement of Jesus here. Do as I say, not as I do. I'm going to worry about the hiding and, 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 and who's getting hid for what and everything. Your job is not to worry about that. Your job is to shine as lights. Second coaching statement that Jesus makes in this is don't get complacent. This is verses 24 and 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear for the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given and from one who has not even Uh, what he has will be taken away. Okay, what is he talking about here? What he's talking about here is he's saying, you have been given knowledge. You have been given revelation here. And so this makes it, you're you're blessed here. Don't get complacent with that. You're responsible for the information that you have, okay? So if you've been given this information, you're responsible for it. You're responsible to do something with it. So since you here have been given the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're responsible for that. And he says, don't get complacent about that. Don't think that you're above anyone for that. Or don't think that you have exactly what you need and now you can coast for the rest of your life. He says, just because you're listening now, it doesn't guarantee that you will always listen. So pay attention. Pay attention to what you hear. The more you listen, the more you will hear. But he says, ignore it and it will be taken away. Ignore what you've been given. Don't use what you've been given it will be taken away. Um, Romans chapter 11. uh, Go ahead and turn there real quickly here. We won't spend much time there, so you might want to hold your thumb or finger in Mark 4, but go to Romans 11 real quickly here. I just want to show you this real quickly. This is page 947. If you're using the Bibles provided for you there. Um, I don't have time to go through all of this, but I just want to read a few verses, starting verse 17. Okay, so this is Romans 11, verse 17. Uh, Paul is writing in this book here. He's writing to the Romans, and he's expressed, He's already expressed his desire for Israel to follow Christ. But Paul has uh, been uh, he's, hes ministering to the Gentiles, which is anyone who's not Israel. And you know, Israel was the, the initial uh, people that God was going to work his kingdom through. It wasn't going to be ex- always exclusively for them. Even in the Old Testament, we see a light to the Gentiles. But it was gonna be the, the, they were going to be the primary people that he was going to work through. And they got cut off because of disobedience. And Paul is talking about this right now. And he's talking about his heart's desire for Israel. So, verse 17, it says this. But if some of the branches were broken off, so he's referring to Israel here, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. Okay, so branches Israel. The of Israel. Uh, the wild olive shoot is Gentiles being grafted into. Of course, the tree is Christ. He says, if you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Well, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud But stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note that the kindness and the severity of God, severity to those who have fallen, but kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. He's saying to the Israel, or to the Gentiles, or he's saying to the Romans, "Do not be complacent. Don't think that you you are better than Israel, who uh, uh, fell in unbelief." He's saying, "You don't think that." you are uh, a better than them. And so I take that principle and I put it back to hear what Jesus was saying here. We're talking about pay attention to what you hear. Use it for what you measure. It'll be added to you. The one who doesn't use it, it'll be taken away. Don't get complacent with what God has given to you. God has given you a knowledge of Jesus Christ. God has given to you a knowledge of the goodness of God for most of you. And I don't know all of your backgrounds, but at least in this moment right now, you're hearing about it. And so what I'm doing is I'm I'm heaping accountability upon you. You're welcome, okay? It's because I'm trying to tell you this is what God has done for you, and now you're responsible for it. And so don't get complacent. You may have been blessed with God's grace and pressing his word into your hearts, but if you don't stay focused on Christ, that grace may be taken away. And I'm I'm not talking about salvation grace there. But I'm talking about the hunger and thirst for righteousness that may be diminished because of complacency or apathy in our lives. So if we look back and we can see times where we hungered and thirsted for righteousness and God's word more than what we do right now, we need to stop and ask God to forgive us and to renew that in our lives. And if right now you're enjoying a time where this is a a sweet time of fellowship, a sweet time of desiring God's word, and this is a good time in your life, then you need to stop and thank God for that and ask him to help you from growing complacent. So wherever you're at, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual pilgrimage this morning, but it really kind of boils down to one of those two choices. So either we have a group that needs to repent this morning and ask God to turn their hearts back to appreciating Christ and his word, or we need people who are, by God's grace, in the midst of that, who need to thank God and beg him to continue that in their lives. So here's some tremendous, there's some very specific application there. So we've talked about do as I say, not uh, uh, not as I do. We've talked about don't grow complacent, there's a, a third coaching statement that I think comes from this text, and that is this. This is verse 26 to 29. Do your job, then go take a nap. I like that one. <laughs> this is the highlight of the message for me right here. Okay, do your job, then go take a nap. How do I get that? Verse 26. And he said, "The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed in the ground, he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, he knows not how." The earth produces by itself, first the blade and then the ears and the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Okay, up until this point, remember I told you this is a beautiful marriage. It's a beautiful marriage and unexplainable marriage between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility here. Up until this point, we've been talking about man's responsibility primarily. We've been primarily talking about how man is responsible to have a receptive heart, how man is responsible to shine his lights, how man's responsible not to grow complacent. Of course, that's all spirit-empowered. We understand that, but it's still the responsibility that we're expected of. Now Jesus is pivoting here and he's reminding them to encourage them about God's sovereignty in this whole matter. Remember, the, 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 the phrase I want you to walk away with today is that you're invited to participate or you're invited to be part of the unexplainable growth of God's kingdom. Okay, and so what this is in this, he says all these things you must be doing, but then he stops here and he gives another parable and he says, you know, the kingdom of God is kind of like a seed and scattered. The guy puts it on the ground, and then he goes, and he goes to sleep. And he wakes up, and he sleeps, and he wakes up. And pretty soon, the thing starts growing. He doesn't know how, but it grows. I mean, can you really explain how a seed grows? Well, we can talk about the nutrients of the soil, and we can talk about sunshine, and we can talk about rain, and we can talk about other things, but... Can we really explain how that happens? No, not really. Because that's God's deal. In fact, if the farmer in this situation, if he were to try to interfere with God's realm, it would be harmful. Now, we can't thwart God, but I'm just for the illustration Imagine if we had a farmer, who well let's 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 rephrase this, because my daughter has uh, seeds growing in little cups at home, okay, for school, right? And imagine if she were to plant one of those seeds outside or whatever, and every day she wakes up and she digs it up to see if it has started growing yet. She looks at, nope, not yet. Puts it back in there, and the next morning, did it grow yet? Dig it up. Nope. Would there ever really be any growth? (laughs) No. Right? What what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, do your job. Shine his lights. Don't grow complacent. Then go take a nap. I've got this. The growth that is going to happen is going to be by me. Now, you're responsible. I'm going to use you. But and if and if you're disobedient we don't we don't tie god's hands cuz his spirit will always make sure there's a remnant of people that will do this but the point is is that he's saying i'm inviting you i'm inviting you to be part of this so don't feel like the shining of lights and, the, and, and, and the, the broadcasting of the gospel and the scattering of the seed, and, and don't feel like you've got to be the one who makes sure that everyone else's heart is receptive for the seed. No, you worry about your heart. You worry about what God has given to you. Don't grow complacent in that. Scatter the seed. Shine his lights. Then go take a nap because I got it. Can you, can you understand with me how liberating that is and how freeing that is of like, this is what God's expecting me to do. He's expecting me to tell people, expecting me to, to live in a certain way that points people to Christ. But whether or not they respond, I'm never held accountable for. I, I'm not held accountable for the harvest. Now, it's interesting We are told that there should be fruit. But it's interesting, in this text earlier in the parable of the soils, remember, Jesus, he gave a range of harvest. Do you remember that? Some 30, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Do you remember that? And the reason for that is because it's different for every person. And the point that we can take from that is that there is not a quota that God is expecting of you. Like, okay, I saved you, JP, God's saying. Now, in order to get into heaven you got to get six other people to, to agree to this deal, okay? This is not like this ultimate pyramid scheme, okay, of God. He says, do your job and go take a nap. I love that. I love that, that it's by itself, by the power of the word, it says. The earth produces by itself. So the harvest is not our responsibility. So we are invited to be part of the, pro- the process, but we're not accountable for the results, So we have to ask ourselves, and what's stopping us from sharing Christ, from shining His lights, if you will? Fear of rejection. There could be a lot of things. But the point is we're asked to share the gospel message and then lead the results to God. And, And let me say, philosophically, that's one of the reasons why we choose to do what we do in our church and we choose not to do what we do in our church. Um, you know, there's a lot of times there's like a lot of effort into, and a lot of money and time put into massive programs and things like that, uh, particularly on holidays and things. And, and again, I'm not against doing special outreach events and special things. I'm not against that. But I think we need to make sure we keep it in check that we are willing to sow the seed and then take the nap. Because if you're wired like me, which is sinfully, I tend to dig up the seed a lot. I tend to start messing with it. I start trying to insert my own goals or my own uh, uh, strategies into things. I think we're much safer as a church to say we're going to tell people about Christ. We're going to live differently in this world. We're going to shine as lights. We're going to let the results be God's. So do your job and go take a nap. It's the word that works, and we don't understand how, and we don't need to understand how. That's not our job. So here's what I suggest for you this week. Go tell someone about Jesus, then take a nap. You think, this is the best sermon application I've ever heard in my life. And some of you are thinking, you have no idea that I have no ability to take a nap because of all these kids in my house. Sorry. Anyway, (laughs) last coaching statement. Prepare to be amazed. This is the last coaching statement. Verses 30 through 32. And he said, With what will we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? Jesus isn't confused here. Jesus is explaining, he's, he's using a, a rhetorical device to say, This is this is far greater than you can realize here. Okay? No matter what we say or what, what illustration we use, it's not going to adequately capture what I'm inviting you to be part of. That's what Jesus is saying there. He says, well, what, what, well uh, with what should we compare to the kingdom of God or what parable should we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds in the earth, speaking hyperbolically there. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. He seemed prepared to be amazed. John Scully was the... Uh, CEO, or, or actually, yeah, yeah, he was a CEO. I think it was of Pepsi. And Steve Jobs at Apple was trying to uh, have Scully come over and join the team, and he did. And later on, they were asked. They asked John Scully. They said, "Why, why did you leave Pepsi to go to Apple?" And he said, "Steve Jobs is the best recruiter in the world." They said, well, how do you know that? Well, why did you say? He said, here's what he told me. He said, John, do you want to keep making sugar water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come to Apple with me and change the world? So, now I don't think they changed the world, but it was a good move. Um, Steve Jobs later regretted it because then he got ousted by Scully, but that's a side point. But the point is, <laughs> is he, um, he really uh, was uh, a someone who, who said, prepare to be amazed here. He cast that vision in front of John Scully, and John Scully left a, a very, very uh, prosperous business to go and change the world. And in a lot of ways with what starts small and obscure and insignificant, will grow so large that the birds, okay, Jesus is saying the gospel is going to grow. It's going to start so small. And this is what the disciples were saying. It was just a small thing. It's was just a few people around here. It was new. It was something that was just growing. It was new to them, I should say, in their thinking. And it, it, that seed... Was going to grow and it was going to produce something that's so large that birds who would have eaten the seed, think about that, now find shelter underneath the fruit of the seed. Okay? Prepare to be amazed. And so when we say that we're invited to be part of the unexplainable growth of God's kingdom, we are saying that God is giving us an opportunity to be part of something that is amazing. It's amazing to see the growth of the gospel in people's lives. It's amazing to get to know people and spend time with them and walk through them with difficult circumstances. And is it hard? Yes. Does it taxing? Yes. Does it it stretch your patience? Yes. But when you see them walk in Christ and you see them grow in Christ and you see them put aside bad habits that they once had before, and they're living a much greater life for Christ. It is an amazing thing. And you and I can't do that. That's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can do that. But we get to be part of it. You get to be part of that. He's inviting you to be part of it. He says, walk with you. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. There's going to be weeds to pull. You're going to have to water stuff and all these things. You've got to remove some rocks sometimes. But it is amazing. But sometimes we don't want to do that. We just want to kind of hunker down and stay in our lane. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Prepare to be amazed here. The point's obvious here. The kingdom starts small but grows super large. The application is also obvious. If you feel like you're part, if you feel like you're in a small, marginalized minority, and we are as the church in some ways, be patient. The growth of the kingdom will take an eternity for us to comprehend. Okay? The growth of the kingdom that God is asking you to be part of will take all eternity for us to wrap our minds around. So let's get busy. Shine his lights, share Christ. Don't get complacent, and we see that we trust God with the results, and we will be amazed. So, if we give our lives to sharing with Christ, we will be amazed. So, let me conclude. Let me let me start bringing this to a close. The parable. Uh, let, me, let me summarize the parables, okay? I put it on the screen. I can send this to you or it's on the digital bulletin, but um, if you don't want to write it down. The parable of the soil and the story of the lamp, those are illustrations about human responsibility and kingdom growth. And it also comp- is accompanied by a warning not to get complacent, okay? So I'm breaking down where we've been so far. God's spirit will ensure that there's always a group of disciples who share the message. So God is not wringing his hands, hoping you don't mess up his plans. He just wants to share, you to share the joy of it. And it really is joyful. And it really is amazing. So that's the parable of soil and the story of the lamp. Now the parable of the growing seed that middle section there 26 through 29 that's an illustration about God's sovereignty in kingdom's growth in kingdom's growth He is the one that brings transformation we're not required for that that's why I do look at attendance things and like that just to kind of track things where we're at and everything but I don't lose sleep over that I ask questions like are individuals in our church growing in Christ and I have conversations with people, and I pray for people, and that is what I encourage. It's not so much about how many chairs we have filled on Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong. It is much more fun to preach to chairs that have people in them than people, than chairs that don't have people in them, but the point is, is that the results are God's, and God is giving growth, and God is bringing people and that's him. That's not me. That's not this church. It is God. We've shared the gospel. Now we're taking a nap. And so if you're here for the first time, and maybe this is the church for you, look, that's God. We're taking a nap right now, okay? All right? We're just sharing the gospel, sharing Christ. And it's a wonderful thing, God's sovereignty in this. Then the parable of the mustard seed, to bring this summary to a close, so you can kind of understand how this all fits together. It's miraculous. Kingdom growth is miraculous, impossible, and unexplainable, if you will. That's what Jesus is communicating in this section. This is what he's teaching. So, you are invited to be part of the unexplainable growth of God's kingdom. That's what I want you to walk away with today. This is something that you got the invitation for. You are expected to be there because it's going to be good. And it's going to be amazing. And it is amazing. So, as I always do each week, let me give you some homework, if I can. And if you don't want me to, it's on the screen already. Sorry. So, lamp. All right. We're going to frame our homework around three words. Lamp, nap, and clap. Okay? Alright? I'm trying to find ways to help you remember these things, and for me as well. Spend time this week either asking God to forgive him, or forgive you or forgive him. There's beat theology. So, uh, spend time this week either asking God to forgive you for growing complacent or asking him to keep you from becoming complacent. Okay? That's some time you need to spend with God. This afternoon, maybe later on, maybe on a, on a drive uh, this week sometime, set a reminder, whatever the case may be, but Uh, Maybe during a a lunch hour, maybe a commute, uh, set a timer, whatever will help you spend some time this week. Okay, secondly, nap. Share Christ with two people this week, then go take a nap. Now, you can take that figuratively or literally. I don't care, okay? But the point is, is I want us to consciously... Share Christ with two people in some way, in some way, or just encourage people to know God, or share with someone something that you've learned about God, or why you follow God. So, when I say share Christ, that can look in a lot of different ways. It doesn't just mean you got to sit someone down and be like, okay, you know, get a Bible here, okay? Romans 3 says this. That's not what I'm talking about, although that's good. I'm talking about just have a spiritual conversation that we're trying to intentionally point someone to think about Christ, okay? That's what I'm talking about. Do that with two people this week, but intentionally then just walk away from the conversation and say, God, do what you want with that and just be done with it, okay? Do that with two people this week. Clap. Spend time thinking about how one conversation that someone had with you, and of course this is if you're a believer in Christ, has grown into eternal hope and then worship God for that. Someone at some point in your life had one conversation with you if you're a believer in Christ and you may not have believed then but it started then I love the story that Tom has told Tom Vaughn in our church he was a boy scout we had a boy scout troop that met here Bob Evenson was one of the leaders probably met down in the basement or something I'm not sure and Bob shared Christ with Tom Vaughn many 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 years ago Tom did not accept Christ at that moment, but it was years later, when God was drawing Tom's heart to himself, that those conversations that Bob had with him came back to his mind and was instrumental in Tom becoming a, a follower of Christ. Tom is chairman of a deacons now, faithful servant of Christ, um, you know, good friend. and that all started spiritually by someone having a conversation with them. And that happened in your life if you're a believer. Would you spend time this week just retracing those steps, relive that odyssey, and then worship God for it? That's kingdom growth. And God is worthy to be worshiped. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this text will be helpful to us and I pray that if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Savior, that what we've been describing is foreign to them. They're uncertain about their eternal state. And I know there's people here like that every week. Lord, I pray that they would talk to us. Talk to me, talk to someone else that maybe they know in the church or whatever and just say, I, I need to know this. Um, Give them that courage. And we simply just want to share what Christ has done. Father, thank you for the encouragement we have in your parables and your teaching. Thank you for the responsibility, invitation that you've given to us. And I pray that this week we take it very seriously. But thank you that you are sovereign and that we can do our job and then just take a nap. And I pray that we'd rest in you this week. In Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen.